you have your Bible this morning, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you have an iPhone, you got an app, that's okay. You got a smartphone, you got an app, that's okay. Uh, we're, t- we're talking about fireproof living. We're talking about real hope. And I brought a little illustration today. This is one of my favorite things in the world. Does anyone know what this is called? It's an of glove. DuPont makes this. And it is, it's, uh, it's, got, it's got two different materials. It's got Nomex and Kevlar. So if you shoot a bullet, it'll go right through your hand. It's not that kind of Kevlar. But it's, it's made by DuPont, and it w- can withstand 500. You can see the fingers are all singed on this. can withstand 540 degrees temperature. Or you can stick your hand over an open flame for 60 seconds, and it will not burn you. That's pretty impressive. It's cinched because I've done that, actually. Uh, we've used it, this at some of the men's events, and, and I use it all the time. If you, I love to cook corn on the, on the grill, but those tongs are so hard. You know, you, put, you wrap it in foil, and you put butter and, you put butter and salt on it. You, you wrap it in foil, and you put it on the, uh, on the grill for about 20 minutes, medium heat. If you got some, just bring it on up. And, and then you just take this and you just twist it every couple of minutes to keep it nice, just keep it rotating. That's where all the black comes from, from all of the corn that it's, it's turned. Uh, if you were going to go through a fire, wouldn't you want your whole body in an of glove? Wouldn't you want it in the, the Kevlar and, and the Nomex? I mean, that's a pretty amazing thing. And when somebody goes through a hard time, what do we say about them? It, don't we say, oh, they've really been through the fire. They've really been through the fire. Things are really tough in their life. Uh, There's been trouble. There's been hard times. Somehow we got it in our mind. It's not true, but somehow we got it in our mind that Christians don't go through the fire. Somehow we got it in our mind that Christians don't ever have the hard times. We don't ever have the, the trouble. We don't ever have the, the job loss, the, the loss of income, the, you know, the child that, that goes wandering off. We somehow have gotten that mixed up, and that's not what the Bible says. In fact, in John 16, Jesus is speaking to the disciples. He's getting ready to leave. He's going to the cross, and he's warned them of that, but they're still not picking up on it. And this is what he says in John 16, 33. In this world... You will have trouble. Notice he didn't say might. He didn't say probably. He didn't say could happen. He says you will have trouble. And you say, well, pastor, that's just for the disciples. No, that's for every disciple of Jesus Christ. In this world, you will have trouble. If Jesus had stopped there, frankly, that would have been kind of not that much help. But the next phrase he says is, but take heart. I have overcome the world. What Jesus wants us to know, the reason we can have real hope when we're going through the fire is that he is in control. Jesus says, I have already overcome the world. I'm the one in control. We know that from the Old Testament. There's a story in the Old Testament, one of my favorite stories. In the, in the book of Daniel, there's this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I, I love the names, the, the, the Hebrew names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and these three are with Daniel. They're teenagers when they're taken in captivity. And, and the king, at one point, his, his, his advisors come, and they want to get these guys in trouble, and they know that they won't bow to idols. So they say to Nebuchadnezzar, erect this huge gold statue and make everybody bow down to them. Play the trumpet, have the whole orchestra play, and, and it goes through it several times, says, and all the harps and the fl- flutes and the lyres and the trumpets and the, and the brass and, the, and the, the, uh, all the drums, and everybody played, and all the people bowed down, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down. And the advisors say, hey, king, you see those three guys standing? I mean, 
if you and I had been there, what would we have done? We would have figured out, oh, there's an ant. Look at an ant down there. On the, I mean, we would have done something. These guys are standing tall. And the advisors point him out, and, and Nebuchadnezzar has them brought up, and he says, listen, all you have to do is just bow down. They said, king, I hope you live forever. But the God we serve is able to rescue us. And then they say the most amazing thing. But if not, we still are not going to bow down to this idol. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 25, in chapter 3, it says that they, the king was furious. And he heated up the furnace so hot when the people came to throw them in, the guards came to throw them in, they bound, the, bound their hands. And when they threw them into the fire, the men who were assigned to throw them in the fire died in the fire. That's how hot the furnace was. But then look what it says in Daniel 3.25. Then he said, that's Nebuchadnezzar, look, I see four men. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That'd be one, two, three. I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound. The, the ropes burned off. Unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like, and he doesn't know what to call it, so he, he says, a son of the gods. I think it's a pre-incarnate Christ. I think it's Jesus Christ come down for just a moment so that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they go walking through the fire, won't be alone. And the Lord says, listen, when you walk through the fire, I will be with you. When they bring them out, it says they don't even have a hint of smoke. Listen, I, people always know when, I love to barbecue. People always know it. In fact, all the dogs in the neighborhood, when I walk the dogs after I've barbecued, the dogs can come up to the fence and you can hear them going, He's been near a barbecue. I think it was steak tonight. Nope, hamburgers. They check you out. Not even a sniff. Here's where we're going with this. If we follow Christ, when we walk through our life with Jesus Christ at our side, we can be fireproof. It doesn't say we're not going to go into the fire, but it says when we walk through him, we will be fireproof. That ought to give us incredible hope. Let's look at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He's writing to this church in Corinth, and he's giving them some specific information. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to go back to verse 11. We ended with that last week, but it sets the tone for where we're going. Verse 11 says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Look at verse 12. If any man builds on this foundation, so Christ is a foundation, you build on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones. I always thought that meant gems. There's actually a word in, in the Greek that means diamonds and emeralds and rubies, and that's not the word that's used. It's probably, he's really actually saying marble or granite. Anybody here bought marble or granite? Would that be a costly stone? Yes, it is. Okay, so you build on this foundation using gold, silver, and costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. His work will be shown for what it is because the day, very specific word, we're going to look at that, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his salvation. Is that what it says? No, it says his reward. This is not about whether you're a Christian or not. This is, as a Christian, what you're doing with what you've been given. He will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. 
He himself will be saved. This is the second reason we know this is not about salvation. He will be saved. Why? Because he's been saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so no one can boast. So even if his stuff is burned up, he himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. What are we saying here? Fireproof living focuses on the goal. Fireproof living focuses on the goal. What is your goal? You build on a foundation and you have a goal. What are you building with your life? What's your aim? When you leave this earth, what is your aim? What's your goal? Well, my goal is to have three kids that didn't kill me as I raised them. My goal is to have six grandchildren. We have five, and we have the sixth one that's supposed to be here in August, and, and we're excited about that. That's my goal, to have six grandchildren that are all healthy and, and well and doing fine. It, it, my goal is that at the end of the time that I'm working, that I have enough money to retire. By the time I'm 84, 85, that should work. So, I mean, there is a goal there. You, you have this goal, the structure. You think this is what we're going to do. Is that your goal? No. Do you make a difference? When you leave this earth, will somebody look back and say, they made a difference. They impacted this world. They impacted my life. They impacted this neighborhood. They impacted this city. They impacted this church. They impacted some one person for Jesus Christ. What's your goal? And what he says here is the fire, there's two things that the fire does. Number one, fire reveals the quality of our choices. If you want to know what the goal is, then you have to know how to get to the goal. And the fire is something that helps us get there. And, and he said, there's the fire of life, and then there's also this testing that comes up as a part of that fire of life. And we have choices. It, it reveals the quality of our choices. Do you have choices today? What I love is Kathy and I faithfully go to the mailbox you know, I mean, every day that the mail is delivered, we go to the mailbox just to support Gary Dixon's retirement plan. Vernon says, praise God, that's a good thing. I go to the mailbox because there's fascinating stuff there. The truth is, all my bills, I mean, I, I get it all electronically, so I don't really need to go to the mailbox, but I've been doing this for a whole lot of years, and I want to go to the mailbox because DirecTV's got a better deal. Charter is going to save me money. And if I bundle, I can save even more money, or if not, I can get a dish TV, or if not, I can do... Do you guys get the same thing? Every week I have something from one or more of these people. Obviously, paper is not an issue for them. They send me these letters all the time. Choices. What is your, how are you going to, you know, rabbit ears. You could have rabbit ears on your TV. That's what we did when we were growing up. Choices. The most important choice you can ever make is one that's easy to overlook. What's the foundation of your life? Paul says, listen, if you don't get the foundation right, everything else is, is worthless. What's the foundation of your life? There's only one meaningful, lasting, solid foundation, and that is Jesus Christ. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's believing that Jesus Christ did everything on the cross that was necessary for you, for me. At one point in your life, you have to come to you where you decide that Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and dying in our place was enough to pay for everything wrong that you've ever done, that I've ever done, that everyone who has ever lived has ever done. That's enough. And you trust him. You don't join a church. You don't get baptized. You don't go through catechism. You don't go all these other things. You come and you decide one time that I believe that Jesus did it for me and I want to accept his free gift. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's very simple. That's the foundation. 
And Paul reminds this urban, real up-to-date, this, this, this group in Corinth, this city that's a, that, that, that at that point is one of the most modern cities, one of the most happening places. Uh, today it would be New York, it, or it would be San Francisco, it would be Los Angeles. I mean, it's the place in, in the best part of town. It's the Beverly Hills. This is the, this is the people who have it all together. And he reminds them, listen, whatever you're building your life on, it better be on Jesus Christ. But I have this career. I have this plan. I have this philosophy. I have, you know, I have this plan in mind that this is the way my life is going to be. I had one of those plans. Graduated from high school in 1972. Went to college. We're going to finish in four years. It was five years. Had a child come along in the middle of that time and took a year off and came back and finished college. I was going to get my master's right after that. Did. Seventeen years later, got my master's finished. I had this plan, and I was going to do this, and I was going to do that, and I was going to be in music, and I was going to... But my plan is not what God's plan was. I got news for you. His plan's better. And he says, I'm going to give you choices. And if you live by your philosophy, if you live by your plan, if you live by your way, you're going to miss this choice. And he said the day, in verse 11, he said the day will bring it to light. He's talking about the day of the Lord. There's going to be a reckoning. There's going to be a time when we stand before the, the, the Bema seat, the, the, the time when the rewards are handed out. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.2 talks about the day of the Lord, and it's an all-in-scoping in, in term that, that, that talks about this big, long process, but we're going to be a part of that as we, as we stand before the Lord. So even when you settle on the foundation of your life, you've, chosen, you, you've chosen the foundation and you choose where you're going to be, you have to choose what you're going to do with it. Two weeks ago on Sunday night, I talked about that, that everyone has 86,400 seconds given to them every day. 86,400 seconds are given to you every day. What are you doing with those seconds? If it was $864, if those were pennies and you had to use everyone every day, what would you do with that $864? But what do you do with the 86,400 seconds that you're given every day and you say, I'm just so busy? The Lord says, you have the same amount of time as everyone else. What are you doing with the time God's given you? Here's the irony. I've, had, I've known people who've had the same crisis with totally different reactions. In a church, not here, but, but back in Amarillo at one time, we had two men. They were both in the cardiac unit. Both of them had massive heart attacks. They were both about three years apart in age. They both had this massive heart attack, and both of them almost died. They get to the hospital. I go visit one, and they say, do you know that such and such is two rooms down? He had a heart attack too, so I go visit him. They're both in our church, both Christians. And one of the guys... When he recovers from it, comes to me and he says, you know what, pastor? The grass is greener. My kids are more beautiful. My job is wonderful. My retirement's not a big deal. And I mean, he all of a sudden found out what was important in life, and he valued every other second. The other guy, I think, could have starred with Jack Nicholson in the bucket list. He, just, he quit his job. He, he bought a boat. He tried to look like a teenager. It was really ugly. It's, you know, when guys our age start to look like, it's not, it just doesn't work, okay? And he blew the next five years of his life because he said, well, I'm going to die any day anyhow. I might as well have fun while I do it. Turned his back on his kids and his grandchildren, and I thought, what? My question to you is, 
what are you doing with those 86,400 seconds? You say, Pastor, first of all, I'm not going to have a heart attack. Second thing is, this just doesn't really apply to me. Well, in, in the Old Testament, Amos chapter 4, verse 11, the Lord's writing to Israel. And it says, you are like a burning stick snatched from the fire, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. The Lord says, you don't understand you're like a stick that's been put in the fire. You're already smoldering. The end's beginning to char. And you're, you're at the point where you could catch fire and you still haven't figured out who I am. Fire reveals the quality of our choices. Number two, fire re- reveals the quality of our lives. Not just the choices, but what we do with it. How do the makers of fireproof safes figure out that they're fireproof well they do all the schematics they do all the physics they do all of the the analysis and they come up that this much steel this much concrete this much of that will keep the fire from from getting in there and then they do this really crazy thing they build one of the safes and they put it in the middle of a furnace and they heat it up and they put things inside the furnace to find out for sure how fireproof that that safe is when they put it in the furnace So if someone were to test your life and put you in the furnace, what's the quality? How well would you do? I I looked up this up because I'm kind of a science buff. I I like to do stuff like this. It says he built with gold and silver and precious stones. Gold melts at 1,947 degrees Fahrenheit. 1,947 degrees Fahrenheit, or the exact same temperature as your steering wheel when you go out having been in the sun. Silver melts at 1,763 degrees Fahrenheit. Granite is still not marred at 2,300 degrees Fahrenheit. 2,300 degrees Fahrenheit. Greenwood ignites at 662. Rottenwood will ignite at under 200 degrees. Hay and straw as low as 145. Now, if you're going to build something fireproof, how many fireproof straw safes have you seen? Doesn't happen, does it? And they would build it with granite and all these other things, except it's too expensive. And so they have figured these other things to layer it to try to make it fireproof. And my point is this. The quality of your life is going to be tested at some point, either here or when you stand before the Lord. And in fact, in both places, here, while you're living, the Lord may put you through this fire to help refine you. Because gold is heated up to 2,000 degrees, and when it's heated up to 2,000 degrees, all the impurities, anything that's not gold, begins to come to the top. Most of us have gold that's 14 karat gold, if I can get my my ring off here. Mine says 14, mine says fool's gold. No, it says 14 karat gold here. My wedding ring says 14 karat gold. That means there's 55% gold and the rest of it is something to make it strong, to make it endure, because gold is actually quite soft. Nobody has 100% gold. If you have 100% gold, it's so soft that it bends and and, and it's actually not very durable. The thing that I have that's actually more gold than that, Kathy and I exchanged Black Hills gold rings at our 10th or 15th or one of our anniversaries. We exchanged Black Hills gold because she's from South Dakota in Black Hills, that's a big deal. And it's actually 18 karat gold, and I've broken it several times. Just that difference. But if you're going to purify it, you've got to heat it up. If you're going to temper glass, you heat it up to a very high temperature, and then you cool the surface of the glass very quickly, and it becomes much, much stronger if it's tempered glass. And the Lord says, this is what I'm going to do for you. In fact, in the Old Testament, Zechariah 13:9. He's talking to Israel again, and, he, and he's splitting them up, in, up, them up into thirds. And he said, this third I will bring into the fire. 
the, the, the third that he knows will follow him. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. This is not about earning your way to heaven. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is very clear. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of work so that no one can boast. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about once you've come by faith to Jesus Christ, he gives you this gift. He's given you the foundation, and he asks you what you're going to build on that. What are you going to do with the gift that God gives you? Here's the second part of this. Fireproof living provides fantastic hope fantastic hope not only is it the goal but he's talking about the hope look back at first corinthians chapter 3 look at verses 16 through 23 let's finish the chapter it says don't you know by the way paul says that 10 times in first corinthians and only one time it's used in the whole rest of the new testament don't you know that you yourselves are god's temple and that god's spirit lives in you again remember he's talking about believers those who have faith in jesus christ if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, it's holy, it's set apart, and you are that temple. Boy, we could go on a long time about what that means about putting drugs into our body, about, about smoking, about you know, being in poor health. Except that if I do that, then I have to talk about obesity, and that's way too personal. So let's go on. I've heard people all the time talk about, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. The pastor who probably yelled more and screamed more about the way that you harmed your body uh, was a guy that I worked with. He weighed over 300 pounds, and it was just hard for me to, you know, to take that part. Look at verse 18. Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. That's from Job chapter 5. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. That's from Psalms. And he's given us two quotes. Now look, in verse 21. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or that's Peter, or the world or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. And let me stop for just a second and explain that last little phrase, because that looks maybe problematic. That's functional, that, that's functional um, subordination. That's functional bowing himself down. That's Philippians 2.6. Jesus said that he was of the same nature of God but made himself of no reputation and humbled himself. So it's functional subordination. It's not the Christology, the being. Jesus Christ is God. And that's not what Paul is saying. So I just want to make sure you don't go away and, and get confused by that. But he says, you are of Christ and Christ is of God. And he's got this whole succession here. What is it saying about the hope that we have in life? If you understand what God has given us, if you understand the foundation, if you understand the tools, the gifts that we've been given, all these seconds, all this time, all your abilities, if you understand it, it brings you huge hope. Except there are three questions that you need to ask yourself. Because if you don't ask these questions, then you'll miss a lot of this. So here's the first question. Do I want to stop deluding myself? 
Do I want to stop diluting myself? Not diluting, that would be making tea you know, a little weaker. Diluting like fooling myself. What does it say? Verse 18, do not deceive yourselves. God re- resides within us. He says, if you're a believer, Jesus Christ promised us when he left, the Holy Spirit would come, and the Holy Spirit literally resides within us. There is some way the Holy Spirit is allowed to be a part of our day-to-day existence. He goes with us. Now, people have used this terminology today, and they've kind of twisted it. Because if you go online and type in, my body is a temple, it'll take you to some yoga place where you can say, my body is a temple, and it's all about healthy. You put healthy food into the temple, and you, you take care of it, and you have this healthy temple. My temple's got an extended front porch, kind of built it up. Okay, it's kind of a wraparound porch, actually. Kind of. I mean, if, if, if it's my temple, it's kind of had some additions put on the temple. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you're God's temple. This is where God meets with you. You see, we come to church thinking that if I come to church, I'll meet with God there. And God says, I want to meet with you every day, everywhere you go. When you pray, you meet with God. It's not just something that happens every now and then. It's, it's something that happens all the time. Corinth was famous for two temples. There's the, the, what they call the Acro-Corinth. It's a big, huge mound just outside. It's, it's this huge cliff. We were at Corinth uh, just, just in March, and we, we saw this. It's 1,800 feet above the city, and it's this massive cliff. And on top of it was the Temple of Aphrodite that could be seen for miles. You could be out in the middle of the, the Aegean Sea, and you could see this, this temple to Aphrodite. And there was prostitution and all kinds of horrible things that went on with, with the Temple of Aphrodite. I mean, it was, it was a horrible place. And when he said temple, I mean, some of the people in Corinth are immediately thinking, ooh, temple. There was another temple that, that, that was very, very popular down in the city, the Temple of Apollos. When all of the city was destroyed about 150 years before Christ, this was the only thing that was left standing, the Temple of Apollos, because Apollos was considered one of the Greek gods, one of the, the mighty Greek gods, and you wouldn't tear his temple down. And it's still standing today. It's been there probably close to 3,000 years now. And when they think of temple, they, they're thinking, I have to go up this huge cliff to worship, or, or I have to go over to this, this, these slabs of marble and I have to meet with him. And God says, I care so much about you, I want to meet with you right where you are. And you've deceived yourself. Because you think worship is this special song, or you think it's this ritual, or you think it's this place, or you think it's this, um, something else. And he says, worship is being with me. Stop deceiving yourself. I told some of you that I, that I got a, a Fitbit. A Fitbit is a, a, a little thing that goes in my pocket like this. I have taken 3,167 steps today. I've gone a mile and a half. I've burned 1,217 calories, or about half of what I had for breakfast. So, I mean, that's a good thing. It tells me everything. The, the problem is, is it also said that if you would go to a place called Lose It and put it on your smartphone, you could then take your smartphone and you... you just scan in all your food and it tells you how many calories. And I've said for a long time I just have a very slow metabolism because I eat such a few amount of calories and I'm so active that I just don't burn them fast enough until I used lose it and I started scanning things in. They have a lot of calories in that stuff. When you eat four pieces of toast, it's, oh. You put it and you scan it and it goes, oh. 
Literally, the Fitbit, when, when I put my calories in, it has smile if you're doing well, and it frowns when I, when I scan it and put it in my computer. We deceive ourselves. We have to shift our thinking. I love verse 18 says, if anyone thinks he is wise, of course we do. We always think we're smarter than the next person. We always think we're smarter than the government. We always think we're smarter than our doctors. We always think we're smarter than anybody that ever tells us anything. We always think we're smarter. If anyone thinks he's wise, of course we do. Stop deluding yourself. He says, listen, if you think you're wise, you're, you actually need to become a fool. And, and look at what it says. Paul will later say, when I'm weak, I'm strong because Christ's strength comes in me. Jesus said, if you're a leader, you should serve. You should wash other people's feet. You, do you understand that those who may be poor may actually be rich? In the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And the widow who gave half a penny was the one who had the greatest riches. We have to shift our thinking. We have to start thinking differently. 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 and 2 says, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. Here's a second one. Am I trying to hide from God? Am I trying to hide from God? Paul quotes Job 5. He catches the wise in their craftiness. And, and Job, Job lost all ten of his children. He lost all of his wealth. He lost his, his, his standing in society. I mean, he went from being at the top of the pack all the way down to the bottom. He literally was going through the fire. And as Job is walking through this fire, his three best friends, first of all, he's got sores. He's scraping with, with broken pottery off of all of his body. Doesn't that sound like fun? He didn't have an ER, so he scrapes his body with boils all over his body. And then his wife says, curse God and die. Thank you so much for the encouragement. And then his three friends come in, and they're silent for seven days, and that's the best that they do. Once they open their mouth, it, gets, it goes downhill from there. And Eliphaz is one of the, the three friends who comes in, and when he quotes Job 5, Eliphaz is saying, listen, <laughs> God catches the, the crafty. You know, you think you're pretty wise. God catches you in your craftiness. You know, the crafty God is craftier than you. What's interesting is at the end of the book of Job, God says to Job, you were right. Eliphaz, you, you were so far off. You need to bring a sacrifice and hope that Job will sacrifice it on your behalf. We're trying to hide from God. We think that we're crafty enough that we can hide from God, that we can somehow kind of sneak around behind his back. And he says in Psalm, 20, in Psalm 94, 11, that he quotes in verse 20, he knows your thoughts. You don't even have to say it. God knew that thought, that thought you just had, that pastor's going to be really long today. He knew that thought. We try to hide from God. We try to hide from God because sometimes it's annoying to be around someone, someone who knows everything. You remember the, the, the sitcom Cheers? And there was Norm who always came in, the accountant. He was always a loser. And then there was Cliff Clavin. Cliff Clavin. And he knew everything about everything, right? Was he just annoying? I mean, the people in the, the, the bar that were there, they would just roll their eyes at this guy. You see, God knows everything, but he's not annoying. He just wants to help. 
And again, in the Old Testament, there's a story. God told, tells Jonah, Jonah, you're in Israel, and I want you to go up to your enemy, your worst enemy's capital, and I want you to tell them that there's going to be a judgment coming. I'm going to wipe them out. Now, if that's me, and it's my enemy, and it's their capital, I'm thinking, go ahead, God. You don't need me to warn them. Just go ahead and do it. He says, go to Nineveh. That's northeast. And so he gets, goes down to Joppa, and he gets on a boat that goes southwest. As far away as from where God, God says, go this way, and Jonah goes this way. Jonah 1.3 says, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. How well did that work for him? In the middle of the Mediterranean, while he's on this ship, there, this huge storm comes, and they're casting lots. They're gambling to see, you know, okay, you guys pick the high card. Let's see which one of you. If you get the low card, you're the one. Okay, Jonah, you got a, you got a two. What's going on here? And Jonah said, it's me. Just throw me over the side of the ship, and everything will be okay. And they did everything they could. I mean, these guys feared God more than Jonah did, and they did everything they could. And finally, they throw him over the ship, and he gets the first submarine ride for three days. And a great fish. Am I going to try to hide from God? Number three, do I realize what God offers, what Christ offers? Do I really realize what Christ offers? Will I stop deluding myself? Will I quit trying to hide from him? But I, do I realize what Christ offers? We, we look at what Christ offers and we say, oh, I get heaven. I can't wait till I get there. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. I'm going to change your life right now. I'm going to change the way you think. I'm going to change the way you live. I'm going to change your hope. I'm going to give you all this hope. Do we realize what Christ offers? No. What's interesting, again, Paul uses this phrase, all things are yours. That's from one of the Greek philosophers that was well known at that time. And that was their proof that man was self-sufficient. Everything is yours. And so, you know, you have everything you need on your own. You don't need anybody else. And so just, you know, just understand that you're okay by yourself. And Paul says, really? Did you notice the things that he mentions? Again, it says, all are yours. The world, life, death, the present, the future, all are yours. Is the whole world yours? Could you go to New York t today and say, you know what, Donald? I like these buildings, Donald Trump. I think you built these buildings for me. I'm just going to take, I'm, I'm just going to take over and take these buildings. Do you think Donald Trump would say, you know what? They're yours. I just built them for you. Could you just walk in and take everything that Donald Trump built? I don't think so. Bill Gates, you know what? I think you did some nice computer work, but I think I'm just going to take over the company right now because you really don't need any more money, so I'm just going to move into the CEO. Do you think he would go for that? I'm not, I'm not thinking that's going to happen. And we could say the same thing for a car manufacturer or anything else. It's not, the world is not ours, is it? Well, actually, it's all Christ's. The rich fool built bigger barns because he didn't know what to do with all the profit that he got from his business. Instead of realizing it was all the Lord's, and the Lord says, you fool, today, that's going to be required of you. In one sense, since it's all God, since it's all Christ, and I belong to his family, it is all mine. 
that's not saying I'm going to go down and try to get this away from Bill Gates right now. But one day, the King of Kings is going to, the, the one that we were speaking of in Revelation, this Revelation song, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will come down and this great army will come with him and he will be riding on this horse and it will say across his chest, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And all of the army will come and we're coming, but he's going to take care of the whole battle and he's going to wipe out all of evil. And then he's going to say to all of us, come enjoy the kingdom. And then meanwhile, he says in Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you haven't to wade through water, maybe up to your knee, I'll be with you. And he says, when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When flood stage comes and the water's up to your second story on your house, I'm with you. They will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, the picture there is of a forest blazing. Not some little fire on the ground, not some little campfire, but it's one of our worst nightmares when all of the, the, the whole hillside erupts in fire and it begins to run and you begin to realize that it's coming to your house and the fire comes and surrounds your house and you're in the midst of that. He says, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Christ offers to go through, us, through the fire with us, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We have this hope when we're part of this family. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. Last week I, I sat down here, and I'll, and I'll close with this. I just sat down on the steps here with, with Nico, Nicholas, our, our grandson that was here from Pflugerville. And we just, you know, and I was just teasing him a little bit. He didn't know I was going to do that, and he was kind of shocked, but we talked back and forth. And, you know, he told me a little bit about, you know, what was happening in Pflugerville in Texas. I just wanted you guys to see him where he wasn't too nervous. So we talked for just a little bit. Our grandsons were here. Nick, Nicholas was here. He's seven, almost eight. And, and, of course, we had Lincoln, five, almost six. And he has Down syndrome. And, and we had a great time. By the way, the persona that the, the, the if you have Down syndrome that you're always easy to get along with, not so much true. There's still five-year-olds that have an emotional level of about a two-year-old. We had to lock the door so he couldn't get out to the pool. There was a, a real fear. We put a special alarm on the back door so he couldn't get out to the patio because my worst nightmare would be to find this little boy that I love so much lying on the bottom of the pool. He, is, he has no fear of water. But Nico said, hey, Papa, you have neat stuff because he knows me. I have, a, I have a radio control boat and I have a radio control car and I have a radio control helicopter and a radio control plane. Papa's pretty cool. And he said, you know what, Papa? I, I would really like to use one of your helicopters. I'd really like to, I only have one. And, and he said, I'd really like to fly your helicopter. And I said, Nico, I have something else that's really neat. And I set him down at the computer, and I have the actual, the, the actual controller that hooks up to the computer, and it's a trainer. You look at the computer, and you take the helicopter off, and you land it, and you crash it over and over and over again. And when he could take it off and land it on the computer, I handed him the real deal. And we went out to the living room, and, and he 
fired it up and he flew it in the living room. And yeah, he, he crashed it a couple of times, but no harm, no foul. I mean, it still flies today. This is a good thing. And here's my point. I don't usually let seven-year-olds fly my helicopter. I don't usually let 27-year-olds fly my helicopter. But he has special privileges because he has my blood running through him. There is a privilege in being a part of the family. And the Lord says, if you come to me, you're part of my family. And I will grant you privileges that you probably don't deserve, you haven't earned, but you will be part of what I'm going to do right here, right now. Not just what's going to happen in heaven, but what's going to happen right here, right now. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Let me just say, as you, as you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, every week we have this time where you can come and, and you can make a decision. We don't make a big deal out of it. We don't have, per se, an altar call. We, we don't do that. Because we, we're not trying to embarrass you. We just want you to do business with God. So you can come and you can sit on any of these chairs in the front. And you can pray. And, and we'll have someone come and sit down by you. Not a big deal. But they just want to talk to you. My question is, is if you don't know Jesus Christ, would you leave without knowing him? I hope you wouldn't. I hope you would come to know who Jesus Christ is. And maybe you realize that you've been building a pretty shoddy structure with wood, hay, and stubble, and you'd like to change that. You can come and sit on one of these chairs, and we'll pray and talk with you about that. Father, you know who we are. You know our thoughts. You know what we're going to do. You know the future. You know the past. You know our world. We need you, Father. So today, Father, cleanse us purify us. Help us to know what it means to live for you, to love you, to be your child. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.